Amen. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. We're so happy to have you guys here this morning. Um, I'm thinking most of you are probably here with family, and I know this is always a sweet day that God gives us each year just to celebrate moms and to celebrate those ladies who are so important in all of our lives. And I know that um, if it weren't for the, the special ladies in my life, uh, my wife, my mother, uh, my grandmothers, um, all those people who mean so much, my sister, that I wouldn't be who I am today. And I am just so thankful um, for each and every one of you. And I hope you feel special today. And I hope your family goes out of their way to make you feel special. And one thing I always encourage the men to do is to make sure that mama doesn't have to lift a finger today. Just take good care of them, all right? I know the, right. the, the cooking may not be as good on Mother's Day, but that's because the men are in charge. But at least let them get a nap, amen? So this morning, uh, I want to talk about a special woman in the Scripture. So the title of my sermon is A Prophet's Mother. A Prophet's Mother. And this is a sermon about Elizabeth. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be kind of going, uh, kind of scattered through, the, through that chapter. Elizabeth is not mentioned a lot in Scripture. As a matter of fact, she's only mentioned in Luke chapter 1. That's the only place that you're going to find anything about Elizabeth. But it's interesting, I read some statistics that some 2 million women in the United States of America are named Elizabeth. The Queen of England is named Elizabeth. It is certainly a, a name that carries honor, and the reason that it carries so much honor is because of of whom um, it originated with, or at least the most famous person that we know who had that name, and that was Elizabeth in the Scriptures. So if you found Luke chapter 1, you will stand to your feet in honor of God's Word. Let me tell you what, if you come to a Baptist church with uh, good knees, you'll leave with bad knees, because we get up and sit down a lot, don't we? So starting in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 5. The Bible says this, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we are indeed thankful for this story about Elizabeth. Lord, we know that in Scripture, when it is uh, read like an actual event, it is an actual event, that your word is historically factual, that it is accurate, that it has never been proven wrong, that geography, um, scholars, and people who know history, many times, Lord, will try to prove it wrong only to uh, find out that it was indeed correct the whole time. So, Lord, as we read about Elizabeth, we're going to keep in mind, God, that she was a real person. She was a person who really did birth John the Baptist, and that she had struggles like many of us today even, but yet she trusted in you. So, Lord, as we talk about Elizabeth and look at her life, I pray that you would bless the mothers who are here that you would bless the ladies, Lord, many of whom would like to be mothers, but um, for one reason or another have not been able to be. And Lord, even for the, the adult ladies who have chosen not to be mothers, Lord, they are all precious to us and precious to you. And Lord, we know that having children or not having children does not define us. It does not give value, um, Lord. But we're thankful, God, for your goodness in each of our lives. And we're thankful, Lord, for those women and those mothers in our lives that have made such a big difference for us. So, Lord, today we entrust this sermon into your hands for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So there was a name, man named William Ross Wallace who wrote a poem back in the 19th century about the impact that mothers have on society and the next generation. Um, mothers nurture and guide their children in a way that no one else can. Mothers have a special role in human society, in the family unit. The family unit cannot operate correctly without the mother, without that role being played. The name of the poem is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. 
And if you think about the title of that poem, it is so true. You know, as many times, especially in traditional settings, the father will many times go off um, away from the home to work. Um, and if you're a stay-at-home mom, you, you know about this. You're staying at home raising children. Uh, many of you mothers who work, um, you come home, and then you immediately have to take off the hat of, of a worker, of, of a laborer, and immediately put on the hat of a mother and begin to, to, to be that nurturing uh, person to your children. It's a huge task, and it's a weighty task. It's one of the most important tasks in human society, the, the role that is given to mothers. Mothers literally do influence the next generation. Mothers spend more time with their children than anyone else. Mothers invest more into their children than anyone else. Many times, a mother is going to influence their children in ways that a father never can, and vice versa. That's why it's so important that we hold to a traditional understanding of what the family is. The Bible teaches us that God created them in his image. He created them male and female. That's why we can't accept homosexual relationships uh, in terms of a family unit or in any situation because we know that two fathers cannot do what a father and a mother can do. We understand that two mothers cannot do what a mother and a father can do, that God created and designed each person in his image to be nurtured equally by a mother and a father. And you may be sitting here today and you grew up in a single-parent home, and God blessed you in that. You're the single parent that raised you, did a great job, and did the best that they could, and God blessed them for that. But the ideal situation that God created, the, the design order, was that one man and one woman would come together in a lifetime commitment, they would have children, and they would raise those children together. And that there would be that beautiful equal balance between masculine and feminine um, influence in that child's life that would allow that child to have the balance that they need to grow up and be a productive person, to, have a, to be a person who values others and values themselves, who honors God, and all the above. So the Bible, though, is where we get that understanding from. That is the foundation of the family unit, and today we're going to talk about that role of motherhood and how beautiful that role is. So on this Mother's Day morning, we want to look at the greatest woman in the Bible, and I do believe that Elizabeth, if not the greatest, is one of the greatest. It is no secret that mothers have a huge burden. So much is expected of mothers today, and, and I can't imagine, um, you, you ladies who work and who raise children, I can't imagine the, the, the level of responsibility and burden that you carry every single day. I know that mothers, you don't ever feel like you have separation from work and, and home time, because home becomes work so often. As you're trying to clean the home and you're trying to cook and you're trying to do all that you do to try to keep the home running. And that's why, especially in two-parent working homes, it is so important for the dad to take up a lot of the responsibility at home as well. Um, many of our mothers work a job outside of the home and then are expected to come home, clean, cook, raise children, look the part, and do it all over again the next day. A lot of times dad comes home from work and he sits in the recliner and kicks his feet up and watches TV. Well, if your wife is working, I just want you to know that that's called laziness. Um, that when you get home, you know, your high, the first thing your high end hits should not be the recliner. It ought to be unloading the dishwasher or something. See, Hannah's trained me well. All right, I'm going to give her all the credit for that. I used to be lazy, believe it or not. I was pretty lazy before I married Hannah. Uh, now I don't know what laziness is. Today we want to honor those mothers by looking at the mother of a prophet, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. So there's five different qualities that Elizabeth possessed that makes her an ideal model for any mother. So if you, if you mothers are sitting out there and you're saying, all right, Ben, you know, who can my mentor be? Who can I look to to model motherhood after? Who can I look to to say, okay, this is the ideal mother and this is who I need to be like? Today I want to say that that would be Elizabeth found in Luke chapter 1. So five different qualities that Elizabeth possessed. If you're taking notes, write these down, these five different qualities the first one is a faithful mother. 
a faithful mother. Elizabeth was a faithful mother. In verses 5 through 7, we'll read those again. We're going to see here what was kind of the circumstances that, was play, that were playing out in her life at that time. Beginning in verse 5, it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife uh, was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But, sometimes we hate that but. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But, it seems like everything was going well, but they had no children. Because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. Here's the thing that I want you to see this morning. That even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, in the Jewish culture, it was looked down upon. If a, if a woman could not have a child. If a man and woman were married and they could not have children, it was almost frowned upon as though they were not contributing to society like they should be. They took the command, be fruitful and multiply, very, very seriously in Jewish, Jewish culture. And what they would sometimes even say about these couples who could not have children is, well, maybe they've sinned. Maybe they have just been sinning in their life and God has removed the blessing of childbearing from them. And it was this misconception really, of what they believed about God and who they believed God to be. Well, that was not the case, obviously. That was not in any way connected because if you hear what God said in the Word, before talking about her barrenness, it says both were righteous in God's sight. Not that they necessarily looked apart in the community or not necessarily that they looked apart in society, but in God's sight, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. So we understand that in no way was her barrenness connected to sin. In no way was this some kind of judgment from God upon Elizabeth and Zechariah. It was simply God's will. We understand and we see this in life. We see couples who cannot have children. And it breaks all of our hearts. Because we see in society people who are having children that shouldn't be having children, who can't take care of their children, who many times are having to uh, go somewhere else. Um, thank God for places like Broy Hill and, and these children's homes around here who, who take care of these precious children whose parents cannot. But then we see these parents who are so capable and, and love Jesus and would raise their children in the admonition of the Lord, and yet they can't have children. And we ask, why? You know, why, God, is, is this allowed? Well, it always goes back to this simple fact that we are cursed by sin. This world is cursed by sin. For the same reason that cancer exists, barrenness exists. People who can't have children, it's because we live in an imperfect world. And it's also because that God does allow us to live in an imperfect world. It's connected to our free will. See, if God did not allow sin to curse us, then he would have to stop being God. Because then he would be saying that sin is okay. But because he respects our free will and he did not create us to be robots... He allows us to make choices. He allowed Adam and Eve to make a choice in the garden. He allows you to make choices every day. And for that reason, our planet and our very hearts are cursed by sin. Therefore, we have health problems. Therefore, we have mental problems. Therefore, we have issues among countries and, and, you know, wanting to, to start wars. We have famines. We have poverty. We have suffering. God does not cause the suffering. But God respects the free will of his creatures enough to let them make their own decisions. Those who trust in Jesus, guess what? They, upon the conviction of the Holy Spirit, said yes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't force anyone to accept him. He respects the free will of his creatures. And the logical conclusion of that is that he must let sin 
have its consequences in this life. But we understand that based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that one day that curse of sin will be wiped away. That one day that we'll have a glorified body that will not have to contend with the health issues that we all experience. And a mother and a father who can't have a child is simply a result of the overall sin curse of human nature, not an individual sin that they have committed. And you need to be very clear about that. Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, but yet they still could not have a baby. Do you ever wonder why the prosperity gospel churches regularly fill their seats? You know, if you look at people like Joel Osteen, if you look at people like Kenneth Copeland, if, if you listen to their sermons, there's, there's no substance to their sermons. It's really just kind of a, a fluffy thing about, you know, let's make you feel good. And, you know, if you'll give some money, guess what? God's going to bless you. And God wants all Christians to never suffer. God wants all Christians to live in prosperity and wealth. And, you know, God's going to give you that Mercedes Benz that you've always wanted. And God's going to give you that big house with five bedrooms that you've always wanted. If you'll give to the church and if you'll come to church. And if you'll just claim the promises that, that, that are taught in Scripture. See, here's the problem with that. And see, this is what Elizabeth and Zechariah were not doing. When people live a life that's after the blessings, you know what they're worshiping? The blessing. They don't actually want the God of the blessings. They don't actually want the God of the Bible. They actually say, well, hey, yeah, I'll put up with you, God, if you'll give me X, Y, and Z. I'll remain faithful, and I'll come to church as long as you bless me, as long as life's going good. And here you've got Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were in this dark moment of, of coming to the reality that they're never going to have a child because they were well up in age, and it would have been almost impossible for her to bear a child, and yet they were still faithful to God. And yet they were still righteous in the sight of God. Elizabeth and Zechariah did not turn their back on the very God who was allowing them not to conceive. Elizabeth and Zechariah remained faithful. Did you hear what it said? Wouldn't you like to be known this way as well? Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Can you imagine having that kind of a reputation? I'm sure there were many people on the outside looking in saying, you know what, why don't they just curse God? Why don't they just turn their back on him? See, Zechariah was a priest. He was actually someone who lived in service of the temple. And when his group of priests would be called of the order of Abijah, he would have to go to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. He was in service for the Lord and yet could not have a child. Here we see Elizabeth leading as a faithful mother. You know, they were such an honorable couple that Zechariah, of course, was of the tribe of Levi. And the Bible teaches us that only men from the tribe of Levi could serve as priests. If you were from any of the other 11 tribes of Israel, you could not serve as a priest. Zechariah was of the tribe of Levi. But then we find even a step further that he married a woman who was a descendant of the first high priest of Israel, Aaron. This would have been such a prestigious situation that many priests would not have even encountered. Now, many priests would not even have the opportunity to marry a descendant of Aaron, but yet he did. It was a very high honor. And yet, even in the midst of their difficult circumstances, they still trusted the Lord. 
Some scholars, as I was reading and studying about this, it says that they were up in age. And I, my question was, well, how old exactly were they? You know, maybe they were uh, 50. I'm sorry for you guys that are 50 years old. Maybe you were 60 or 70. I'm not saying you're up in age, but I'm just trying to get a feel for what that was. Well, some scholars believe that the way it was worded, it could have meant that they were 80 plus. They could have been 80 years or older. So now at this point, you're thinking 80 years or older. There is no way they're going to be able to have a child. And isn't it interesting that in the most... Uh, unchance-like un 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 situations that God can move and that God can do a miracle. James chapter 2, verse 17 says this, In the same way faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. How many people do we see that call themselves Christians, that claim the name tag of Christianity, that, have, that talk the talk, but they never walk the walk? There's no works in their life. Well, here you have Elizabeth, this mother or, or this mother-to-be who was brokenhearted, and yet... She lived by faith. It was shown in her life and how she served the Lord. What God honors and loves is when we follow him and love him, not because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. You know, sometimes I think about the martyrs of the uh, 16th and 17th centuries um, who were being killed by the Catholic Church, people who were preaching believers' baptism, who were preaching that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And they were being slaughtered. They were being hung. They were being uh, tarred and feathered. Uh, they were being stretched by teams of horses until their limbs popped loose. They were being burned at the stake. There were so many ungodly. They were being skinned alive. There were so many ungodly things that were happening to Christians. Could you imagine Joel Osteen trying to preach back then? Could you imagine him trying to convince Christians that if you'll just live for Jesus, you'll live a happy life? And your brothers and sisters are being killed out in the streets because of their faith. God never promised us a bed of roses. He never promised us a luxurious and comfortable lifestyle. Christians in America in this day and age are actually a rarity. Over the course of Christian history, Christians have not experienced this kind of luxury and this kind of freedom and this kind of uh, free exercise of religion. This is a rarity that we're experiencing right now. And when you think about that and you think about... The, the fact that they knew that if they lived for Jesus, they knew that if they denounced the Pope or they knew that if they denounced the monarch or, or whatever it may be, that they were going to die, and yet they still lived for Jesus. There were many who were recorded as they were burning at the stake and as the, the fire was working its way up their legs, that they would be preaching and saying, it's worth it, it's worth it. Hey, I can bear this. You can bear this. Just keep on keeping on. Can you imagine Hey, listen, there's no force in the world that can stop a movement like that, by the way. When, not, when people aren't even afraid to die for what they believe in, that's when you know that it's something real. Elizabeth and Zechariah were shining examples of godly people in a time when many were turned away from God and perverting true worship. And this is kind of the context here. So you get the Old Testament. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Now, for 400 years from the end of Malachi to the birth of Jesus was 400 years. And did you know that God did not speak in any way to any prophets for those 400 years? It's known as the 400 years of silence in the nation of Israel. So as Malachi is ending, you have this 400-year period with no prophets at all. And then all of a sudden, on the scene comes John the Baptist. This would have been such a dark period of time where many people would have been felt betrayed by God. They would have felt like God has forsaken us and God has left us. This was a time when the Roman Empire was exercising its muscle in Jerusalem and those parts around Judea, and the people were being oppressed. The people were being persecuted, and they were looking for answers. And here comes John the Baptist, 
birthed by Elizabeth. So the second thing, the second character, the second principle that you see lived out in Elizabeth's life is that she was a thankful mother. Not only was she a faithful mother, but she was a thankful mother. Verses 24 through 25 say this very clearly. In verse 24, it says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Now, in the meantime, Zechariah is in the temple. He's serving the Lord in the temple as the priest. And as he's lighting the incense, which was to continue burning 24-7, 365, the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah and says, Your wife is going to conceive, and she's going to give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. She's going to give birth to the one who's going to prepare the way for the Son of God. And he comes out speechless because he can't speak, because he basically questioned the angel in the temple. And the angel said, because of your disbelief, I'm going to take away your speech. So he comes out mute and is trying to tell everybody what's going on. And then at some point between there and this verse here, he's able to share with Elizabeth what the angel said, he probably had to write it down and just share with her, hey, the angel of God, Gabriel, the one that stands in the presence of God day and night, came and told me that you're going to have a child. It says there in verse 24 that she became pregnant and stayed isolated for five months. I got to thinking, why did she, have, why did she stay isolated? Why was she in seclusion? Well, many scholars think that maybe she wanted to be sure that the baby would be healthy. She didn't want to go out and, and say things, or she didn't want to put too much strain on her body that would cause her to miscarry or anything like that. Of course, if she was truly 80-plus years old, that would have certainly been a risk. But also, some would have said, well, if she were to go out and she were to say that she was pregnant, who would believe her if she wasn't showing yet? When's the last time an 80-year-old woman told you that she was pregnant? <laughs> much less, when's the last time you believed it, right? So she stayed secluded until she began to show and then she came out. But did you hear what she said in verse 25? The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Hey, she was thankful. It wasn't that there was instant dread in her life. Oh, no. I'm 80 years old. This is going to be so hard on my body. And, and I've got the responsibility of raising this prophet of God named John the Baptist, this one who is going to lead the way for the Messiah. I can't do that. There's no way. No, she didn't go that route. She was thanking and praising him. She was saying, hey, look, God the Father has shown favor upon me, and he has removed my disgrace. Did you know that every time a soul gets saved, it's the same thing? That God shows you his favor and removes your disgrace? See, what she was saying is, in a society where I'm expected to have children, in a society where all these pressures are put upon me, and where I had to go out and I had to know that people were talking behind my back because I couldn't have children, now God has shown favor upon me and he has removed all of that. You know, when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, did you know that you were someone marked by disgrace? You were someone that if you had died in your sin, you would have stood before God a sinner. You would have had no excuses to share with God. You would have had no way out. The Bible says that he would look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you would die and go to a place called hell. But it isn't just wonderful. Those of us who know Jesus, we don't have to worry about that now. That our disgrace has been moved, removed. Now I can stand before God one day and I can look at him with confidence, not in myself, but in the confidence of the blood of Jesus. Right. Now Jesus will say, enter in, enter into this great reward. 
I know you and you're my child and I love you. Hey, you know what? It's not about what you do. It's about what God can do for you. Hey, Elizabeth was just doing, was just being obedient. She was just serving Jesus. She was just serving the Lord. And yet he showed favor upon her. So instead of that dread, she was thankful. Jesus said of John in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I tell you, among these born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Jesus said that. He said, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Can you imagine being the mother of that child? The one that Jesus said, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared? John's own father said this in Luke 176, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And Elizabeth, 80-year-old woman, was going to be the mother of the greatest prophet that ever lived. So we see that she was a thankful mother. If you're taking notes, she was also a worshipful mother. And mothers, as you're going through life day to day, and circumstances are happening, and you're, you're getting discouraged you know, sometimes the best thing that you can do is just worship. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is just get by yourself somewhere and say, Lord, I love you and I bless your name. I am so thankful that you are the God of the heavens and the earth. You know what? Sometimes God doesn't need us to just ask him for stuff. Sometimes it's nice for God to hear us just praise him for who he is. Not because anything good in our life has happened necessarily, but just because he is who he is. Just because he is the God who spoke all things into existence from nothing. Sometimes we just need to stop and worship him for who he is. Sometimes when you start praying, it doesn't need to start out with, God, I need this, this, and this. Sometimes it's, God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being my king and my Lord. Well, here, Elizabeth was certainly worshipful. I believe she was worshipful before this great news, but she followed up with continuing to worship even in the midst of this great news. So she was a worshipful mother. We're going to find that in verses 39 through 45 of Luke 1. So if you want to look ahead in 39, it says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped inside uh, for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. Here, Mary just finds out. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She just finds out from the same angel who told Elizabeth that she would bear John, that Mary would bear Jesus. And we know that whole situation, if you remember, Mary wasn't married. She and Joseph were just betrothed to be married. And there would have been a lot of shame involved in that. If people had seen her out and she had began to show, they would immediately assume that she had been unfaithful to Joseph. They would have immediately assumed the very worst. Mary hadn't even told Joseph yet that all this was going on. But the moment she heard, it says that she hurried away and went to the house of her cousin Elizabeth. Well, as she enters the house and as she speaks to Elizabeth, you see that Elizabeth um, would have been very, very happy to see her cousin. But as she walks in, it says this in verse 39. Um, I'm sorry, verse 40, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And then verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her. Here we have this great experience where Elizabeth is in encountering Jesus, the Messiah. And she begins to be joyful. She begins to say, this is the prophecy that we've always heard about the coming Messiah. And now I am getting to speak to the mother 
of my Messiah. And she already knew that her son was going to be his forerunner. See, she would have been about six months along at this point when Mary met her. So she would have only had three months to go. So she was six months pregnant, this baby in her belly. Mary bursts in the front door, shares the news, and John leaps in her womb. Now, with the whole abortion thing going on right now, a lump of cells doesn't leap because it hears something. Did you know that there are studies proven that children in utero react to their environments? They can hear noises. And, that, and I thought this was crazy, but Hannah wanted me to talk to our babies while they were in her belly. You know why? Because they can actually hear you. They can actually be acquainted with your voice before they're even born. And yet there are people out there who are actually mad because babies, not as many babies are going to die as were dying previously. Does that make any sense to any of us as Christians? No. It's crazy and it's insanity. But we know that if John the Baptist could leap in his mother's womb, then obviously John the Baptist was a person. Obviously John the Baptist had value. And obviously, John the Baptist was a human from his conception till his birth till his death, and he was nothing else other than that, as is every other baby that's ever conceived. So it's very interesting there that we see that Elizabeth immediately begins to praise God. She doesn't uh, gloat on herself. She doesn't say, you know, oh, well, God is going to allow me to birth your son's forerunner. God is going to allow me to birth this great prophet. No, she focuses on the fact that Jesus is coming. The whole time, she's focused on the fact that the Lord that has been promised for, for years and years past is about to set on the scene. That this little baby in Mary's womb is going to be the very one that will be Elizabeth's Lord. Did you hear what she said? How could this happen to me in verse 43? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. The mother of my Lord. Hey, Jesus probably wasn't but a week old at that point. And she's worshiping him. She's giving him honor and praise. Isn't that awesome? I actually saw something recently that said that if abortion is right, then it would mean that Jesus isn't who he said he is. And the reason it says that is, is that we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And we believe that he was fully God and fully human from conception. Now, we understand that Jesus existed eternally before his incarnation, before he took on flesh. But as far as being in the womb of Mary, we know that he was fully God and fully man from the moment of conception to the moment of birth, right? Well, if abortion is the case, and there is some point in a birth or a pregnancy where the, the, the life becomes viable, as the Supreme Court said in, in the Casey uh, case years ago in the 90s, they said that, well, there's a certain point in the birth where it, it stops being whatever it was and it becomes a viable human being. Well, then that would mean that our Lord was not fully man from conception, that he was just fully God. And at some point in the, in the pregnancy that he became fully man. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that by uh, the Holy Spirit, Mary conceived the Lord Jesus Christ. That a baby is a baby the moment the sperm fertilizes the egg. Now, that's simple biology. You, know, you want to talk about science, that's science. Okay, The moment the sperm fertilizes the egg, you have an eternal soul that deserves value and love, that deserves all the care and protection that it can be given. And that's science. There is nothing in any way that can be proven in any shape, form, or fashion that says that a child changes from a lump of cells to a human. That's an old, tired argument that's been disproven by technology, by these ultrasounds that we have today. Uh, within a couple of weeks, they have a, a heartbeat. You can begin to see the eye sockets and the fingers very, very early. It's just absolutely amazing how technology is proving the liberal left wrong every single day. And we've said, you know what, from the beginning, we knew it. 
The Bible taught us that God knit us in our mother's wombs. The Bible teaches us that he knew us before the foundation of the world. The Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that John leapt in his mother's womb because he was able to react to the good news of the coming of the Messiah. We've been saying this for years, and now we have ultrasounds that are able to prove it by video, by science. Now we have the ability to see microscopic organisms and understand that a human life does begin at conception. That in no part of the pregnancy does it turn into a human, but it is a human from the very beginning. It's called logic. It makes sense. And if you will embrace just common sense and logic, you will come to that same conclusion. Well, here, Elizabeth is worshiping Jesus. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is a prophecy of John. And Elizabeth would have known this prophecy very well because as Jewish people were raised in their homes, you know, they didn't have Netflix, or they didn't have iPads. They actually sat at their parents' feet, and their parents taught them the stories of the Old Testament. Their parents would have taught them all the traditions and all the Levitical laws and everything that you find in the Old Testament. So Elizabeth would have been acquainted with this. And she would have probably experienced the reality now that this prophecy in Malachi 3.1 is going to be fulfilled in her womb. Listen to this, what Malachi 3.1 says. See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. That messenger that will clear the way before him. That's John the Baptist. We find even in Luke 1.17 that Gabriel, God's messenger, confirms that Malachi 3.1 is talking about John the Baptist. So here we have the reality in Elizabeth's mind that she is carrying the forerunner of her Lord, the one who will prepare the way, the one who will prophesy and preach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And her response is worship. How many times do we let fear hit us before we worship? How many times when we get news, maybe about our child, maybe our child says, you know what, Mom? God has called me to be a missionary in Africa. And immediately his parents were like, oh no, the diseases and the poverty and the, the, the possibility of, of uh, you know, imprisonment and, and the uncertainty of another country and, and safety concerns. What if we just worship? What if we said, you know what? Thank you, Lord, for calling my child to serve you. Thank you, Jesus, for using me to raise up a missionary. Thank you, Jesus, for using me to raise up a pastor, someone who's willing to speak out for their faith. That's exactly what Elizabeth did. Hey, you know what? If she had known the ending, I don't think it would have changed at all. Because we understand that John the Baptist was beheaded for his devotion to the truth. And I believe that even if Elizabeth had known that, she still would have worshipped the Lord. That was just the kind of woman that she was. So as we continue to look forward, we also see another quality that Elizabeth had was that she was a rejoicing mother. She was a mother who rejoiced. And you see that in verse 57 and 58. Now, aren't y'all glad I didn't go verse by verse through Luke chapter 1? Because that's an awful long chapter. That's 80 verses. That would have taken us four hours. <laughs> Verse 57, she was a rejoicing mother. It says this, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Did you notice they didn't question what the gender was? Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. <laughs> then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. Now, I don't know how many people have witnessed this, but I witnessed my wife give birth to four different children. And every single time, she was in no condition to rejoice after what she had just gone through. Okay? 
I mean, I'd rather somebody just beat me with a stick of firewood. That, I mean, I just can't imagine what you ladies experience. And after the, the gruesome childbirthing experience, okay, and this is pre, uh, what's the, the stuff they give you? Epidural. epidural. This is pre-epidural, guys. I mean, this is, she probably didn't have an air conditioner. Can you imagine? And after she gave birth to John, she was rejoicing. Man. And sometimes we complain if we lose cell phone service. We whine if Facebook goes down, you know? And this woman is rejoicing. She was happy. She was thankful that God used her. She was praising his name because she knew who was on the throne. And did you know that if we could be like Elizabeth, the circumstances that come our way each and every day, if we'll quit focusing on the circumstances and we'll just rejoice in the promise that we have in Jesus Christ, that one day when this life is over, hey, we're going to be with him forever. We're going to be in a place where we don't have to worry about these health problems anymore. We don't have to worry about the messed up uh, news uh, media that's uh, coming at us every day with, with war-torn countries and, and issues with our government and issues with our school systems. There's going to be a day when we don't have to deal with that anymore. And you know what? You don't have to wait until you get there to rejoice. Did you know you can rejoice about Jesus right now? As a matter of fact, you ought to rejoice about Jesus right now. Hey, if anybody in this world ought to be happy, it's believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope. And you know what I think every human being, if they were being honest, every human being, what they really desire, they just desire some hope. They just desire that a better day is coming. And I can assure you, based upon the promises of the Word of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you've repented of your sins, that you can have hope, that there is a better day coming. And I think Elizabeth understood that quite well. Praise God for what her rejoicing meant. As those people were watching her, an 80-year-old woman who had just given birth, she was thanking God. She was rejoicing. Lastly, I want you to hear this. This last quality that Elizabeth exhibited in her life, she was a determined mother. She was determined. We see that in verses 59 through 66, if you'll follow along with me. Verse 59 when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah. Now, this is the, the folks who were doing the circumcision that were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. It says, immediately, Zechariah, remember he was mute because he didn't believe. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. Verse 66, all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Well, see, Elizabeth knew very well what the command of the Lord was. She knew that from the mouth of Gabriel, the, the, the uh, messenger angel of God, that he said the child will be called John. Well, now you have all these people coming around her, whether it was family or neighbors or community folks or whatever, and they said, what are you talking about? You can't name him John. His daddy's name's not John. His grandpa's name's not John. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to pressure her from a, from a traditional standpoint. In other words, hey, listen, nobody else is doing that. Why are you doing it? 
hey, this, this is weird. You shouldn't be doing that. And she said, no. Actually, when I looked up the Greek of what it said, meant when she said no, it was actually a very emphatic no. In other words, she said, no way. This ain't going to happen. His name will be John. And she put her foot down about it. And she, she, made it, she made it very well known that his name will be John. And I know it had to be frustrating for her because they didn't even believe her. And they went to her husband and said, well, what do you say his name should be? Almost like they were trying to divide them as though they weren't on the same page. And he simply confirmed, no, his name will be John. You know, in this day and age we live in, as mothers, as you see your children living in a very difficult world, as you are concerned about what your children are hearing when they leave your home each and every day, as you think through what the world is trying to teach them and what the world is trying to do to them, what's interesting is Christians are quieter now than they've ever been. Christians don't speak up anymore. I mean, I know of a lot of Christians that are afraid to have a debate with somebody. They're afraid to actually talk with someone they disagree with because, well, I don't want to offend anyone. Well, did you know that debate is not offensive? Debating is simply exchanging ideas. And if you lose the ability just to be able to debate someone or to, to share your beliefs with someone, then you're a coward. You are. You're a coward. Because we know the truth. Right. And we understand that the truth is able to set a soul free from an eternity in hell. So why are we not talking about it? Why are we letting other people influence our children and remaining quiet about it? Why are we not standing up for the truth of the Word of God? Hey, Elizabeth wasn't even talking about a doctrinal issue here. This was the name of her child, and she said, no, it's going to be John. And it wasn't because Elizabeth came up with the name, by the way. It was because God decided that his name would be John. And he sent the Word through his angel Gabriel. Hey, you know what? What if we stood on the truth of God's word like Elizabeth? What if we stood for the things that, that really matter, like the life of the unborn, like gender theory being taught in our school systems, or, or like you know the, the, the importance of a child having a father in the home, or, or, or these, all these different things, how we should be warning against pornography, how we should be warning against adultery, how we should be warning against fornication how we should be warning against people shacking up with each other before marriage. Hey, we need to be standing on the truth of God's Word. And did you know what? If you stand on the truth of God's Word, you will be blessed. And not only that, but God will be glorified. Hey, listen, God's Word is truth, whether you like it or not. And you know what? God's Word is, tr God's word is truth whether the world likes it or not, whether the media likes it or not whether the Democrats or the Republicans like it or not. Listen, it's not up to us to, to give people what they like. It's up to us to give people the Word, the Word that is able to change lives, the Word that is truth. And so many times people today say, you know, you Christians, you're just mean. You're just mean. You don't love. You don't, you don't want people just to be happy. Actually, that's false. Did you know that? Because we understand as Christians what true happiness is. We understand as Christians what it means to be fulfilled. We understand as Christians that sin destroys, that sin kills. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now listen, if I'm going to believe the part in the Bible about heaven, I've got to believe the part in the Bible about death. I've got to believe the part in the Bible about hell and the wages of sin bringing forth destruction in one's life. Now with that all in view, when I warn someone about their sinful state... I'm not being mean. I'm showing love. Because if the Bible's true and if their sin will take them to a devil's hell and will destroy them, then I hate them if I don't tell them the truth. And we as Christians need to look through that lens.
You know what even Jesus said? You know what? Don't worry if they don't like you. They didn't like me first. Hey, and if you follow me, do you really think you're going to be popular? Do you really think everybody's just going to embrace you because you're standing on my word? Of course not. You, John the Baptist was so hated that Herod beheaded him. You know why Herod beheaded John, uh, uh, John the Baptist? It was because John said, King Herod, you basically had your, uh, your, your relative killed so you could marry his wife. And now you're, you're married and sleeping with your cousin. And Herod didn't like that. But John the Baptist told him the truth. Now, it got him killed, but he was faithful to the Word of God. You know what today? Just like Elizabeth, we need to be faithful. Mothers, just be faithful. Just stand on the Word of God, and I promise you, God will bless you in raising your children if you'll do that. You know what? Today, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you mothers. It's like I've always said, my two most favorite people in the world are women, my mama and my wife. And that's just the way it is, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. So let's pray.